Have you ever wished that things were different? Have you ever thought, man, I wish my circumstances were different? Now, get it. I get it. That sounds like a stupid question in the midst of everything that we're going through uh, during this uh, coronavirus pandemic. But the reality is I think all of us at some point in time wish that things were different, right? I mean, many of us right now, we're dreaming about the good old days, like two months ago, when we could go to restaurants and eat dinner, the good old days when we could have friends over to our house, the the good old days when we could actually gather here in this church. And I don't know about you, but like the, when I begin to focus on my circumstances, it begins to eat at me. It begins to, to weigh on me, and it begins to, to cause me to snap at other people. To, it causes problems in other areas of my life. And then, on top of all of that, you add a week like I had. See, it started last, earlier, this, earlier last week, and I got a call from my son. He said, Dad, I'm driving down the road and my, my truck died. He said, I was able to get it into a parking spot, but it, I can't get it to crank. I can't get it to do anything. So I get in the car, drive over there to meet him, and sure enough, his truck is dead. I can't get it to move, can't get it to crank, can't get it to do anything. I'm no mechanic, so I'm like, right, well, let's just leave it here, and we'll come check, out, check it out tomorrow with a mechanic. Get home later that night. And as we're getting ready to go to bed, we notice a wet spot on the ceiling. And we see water literally dripping down the side of the wall. So I rush up up into the attic to discover that the ductwork is leaking water uh, in our attic down through the, the insulation into the ceiling and onto the wall. Grab a bucket, put it under there, stop the leak, stop the water, do what I can Next morning, call the HVAC guy after I met with the mechanic. So I meet with the mechanic only to discover that the engine is dead. It's shot. There's no repair, no fixing the engine at this point. Talk to the HVAC guy. He tells me, listen, Eric, your, your air handler is broken. It's irrep- it needs to be replaced. It's irreparable. And in those moments when those circumstances get like that, I have to be honest with you guys. I have to confess, I was not happy. I was not joyful. I was certainly not grateful. In fact, if I were to be honest, I probably did more complaining and whining and and grumbling about it than anything else. And then in in that moment, the Lord reminded me that today we are concluding our series on grace. We're wrapping up this series on grace, and we've been looking at grace over the last few weeks, and we've been talking about the fact that grace is one of those words that is very difficult to to define. It's, It's hard to explain, but it's one of those words that we're incredibly familiar with And yet, oftentimes, we don't fully understand the ramifications of grace. See, grace is God's gift. Grace is undeserved. Grace is free. Grace, as we've been talking about, is greater 
than anything we could ever imagine. And God reminded me, Eric, you're teaching about grace this weekend. And I got to thinking about it, because the funny thing about grace is you can't really understand grace until you experience grace. Grace is something that, that we can explain the best that we can, and it's interesting, and, it, and, it's, and it's compelling. But grace, when we fully understand and experience it, when we experience grace, it is irresistible. Over the last few weeks, we've looked at different aspects of grace. We started out looking at, fact, looking at the fact that grace is greater than our sin. Grace is greater than our mistakes. Grace is greater than our shame. Last week, we talked about the fact that grace is greater than our hurts. Grace is greater than what has happened to you. The hurt and pain caused by others in your life. Grace is greater than that. And this week, as fate would have it, if it would have it, grace is greater than our circumstances. See, my circumstances this week were not great. They were frustrating and they were aggravating and they wanted they caused me to complain and gripe. And then God reminded me, Eric, you're preaching on the fact that my grace is greater than your circumstances. We've been talking about a theme verse throughout this entire series. It's Hebrews 12. 15, and it says this, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. See, this passage is talking about this bitter root and a bitter root in the Hebrew is a metaphor for something becoming toxic, something becoming poisonous. See, religion without grace is toxic. A church with no grace is toxic. A relationship, a marriage with no grace is toxic. A life and a heart with no grace is toxic. And you and I can miss the grace of God in the midst of our circumstances when we, when we start complaining, when we start throwing pity parties, when we start grumbling, what are we doing? We're missing the grace of God. In the midst of those circumstances, we're missing the grace of God. We're becoming consumed with life, life's difficulties, which leads to things becoming toxic. I know some of you are thinking right now, Eric, that's a, that's a bit much. I mean, I understand uh, that, that complaining is probably not something I should do, but really, come on, I mean, is complaining that big of a deal? I mean, a little complaint here and there, I mean, that's just natural, right? That's just, that's just the, the way things are. And, and, and does God really, does He really take complaining that seriously? Well, I want to illustrate this with a story of the nation of Israel from Exodus chapter 16. And in Exodus 16, the nation of Israel, they're on their way to the promised land. Up until this point, God has delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He has set them free. They are no longer in bondage and they are traveling as a caravan through the wilderness, through the desert, into the promised land, the land that God had promised them. And here's what happens in Exodus chapter 16. It says the whole congregation, the people of Israel, grumbled and complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, why that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by pots of meat 
and ate bread to the full. For you brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You see, listen, they are acting like they had it good in Egypt. The nation of Israel, they're remembering the good old days back in Egypt. No, they weren't good old days. You were slaves. You weren't hanging out at some all-inclusive resort. You were were in slavery. You were in bondage. And yet they're viewing it like, man, this was the great days. And God, you brought us out here. We're hungry. We're starving to death. You brought us out here to kill us in the wilderness. And despite their complaining, despite their grumbling, God in His grace, God in His goodness provides food for them. Now, the food he provided, we call manna. And manna literally means, what is it? I know some of you have heard of mystery meat. Well, this was mystery bread. And God used that bread, and he provided that bread for the nation of Israel every single day. And they were able to consume that bread every day, and he provided for them. And instead of being grateful for God's provision, what do you think they did? That's right. They complained some more. They grumbled some more. Listen to what happens in Numbers 11. It says, now the rabble, or the, the, uh, the riffraff, the troublemakers, that was among them, they had a strong craving. And the people of Israel went also, and they wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. We remember the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. What are they doing? They're complaining, and God's heard enough of it. God's like, I'm done with the complaining. And he tells Moses to deliver this message to the people. Because God is finished with their grumbling. And here's what it says in Numbers 11, verse 18. And say to the people, Moses, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For we, for it was better off for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat meat. Not one day, not two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. Because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and you have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? Let me ask you this. Did your parents, mom or dad, ever say to you, You want something to cry about? I'll give you something to cry about. That's what what God's doing to the nation of Israel right here. He says, You want meat? I'll give you some meat. I'll give you so much meat, it's going to be coming out of your nose. I mean, that's the worst case of meat sweats you could ever have. And that's exactly what's happening. They're, they're just frustrated. Are they frustrated? They frustrated God. And he's like, you, you want to eat meat? I will give you meat. And you will have so much meat, it'll come out your nose. Why is God so upset about this complaining of the Israelites? See, the reason is God takes it personally. God had provided graciously for the people of Israel. And instead of gratitude... Instead of being grateful, what do they do? They complain. And complaining causes us to miss grace. 
So God takes it personally when you and I complain, when we grumble, when we gripe. And I get it. I get it as a parent. I remember, oh gosh, it was many, many years ago, back when our kids were in elementary school, and, and Nicole and I had, had decided we were going to surprise them with a, with a trip to Disney World. We're going to head down to Orlando. We're going to check them out of school on a Friday, head down to Orlando, and have an amazing time at Disney World. And so uh, we had made the plans. We had bought the tickets. We had reserved the spot. And we're like, we're just going to be amazing. We're going to blow our kids away. And we're going to send them to school Friday morning. They, get, they, get, they go to school just like normal. But we're going to check them out of school, and we're going to surprise them with this great trip to Disney World. And they're going to be thrilled. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to be parents of the year. That's what we're thinking. And so we send them off to school. They have no idea what's coming next. Around lunchtime, we go to their school, and we check them out, all three of them. And they all come up, and they're like, why, why are we getting checked out? And we're like, oh, man, guys, we totally forgot that you have dentist appointments today. As you can imagine, they were thrilled about going to the dentist. Little did they know what awaited them at the van. We go out the building, around the corner, and there our van was sitting. And on the window of the van, the side window of the van, we had this sign made, and it said, we're going to Disney World. And the van door opens, and each of the kids had their favorite Disney plush toy sitting in their seat. I mean, this is going to be an amazing vacation. This is going to be great. They load up in the van and, and they seemed excited and they were doing great. And they're like, yeah, we're going to Disney. And then just a few moments later, before we even got out of the elementary school parking lot, I start hearing it. <laughs> Today is mixed slushy day. Are you kidding me right now? You want to stay here for mixed slushy day? After your mom and I just spent all this money on a trip to Disney World, you are complaining about mixed slushy. Listen, kid, I'm going to buy you so much mixed slushy, it's going to come out of your nose. It's going to cause your brain to freeze. So I get where God's coming from. I get, I understand. Because why? Because complaining about our circumstances. Complaining about our circumstances overlooks the greatness of the grace that we've received. Complaining about our circumstances undermines the good news of the gospel. And complaining about our circumstances ignores the generosity of and the faithfulness of God. So I get it. And I know some of you are thinking, man, let me just strip this down to, to the bare idea, bare thought, and it's this. Complaining is ultimately a refusal to trust God and to acknowledge His grace in your life and my life. That's ultimately what complaining is. Yes, and I know, I know some of you are thinking, Eric, man, that seems harsh. I mean, I understand, I get, I get it. I shouldn't complain. I should be grateful. I understand that. But, but really, I mean, complaining is kind of a small, like, JV-level sin, right? I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. He said this. Give thanks. In other words, have gratitude 
be grateful, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He's saying gratitude is God's will for you. Gratitude is God's will for me. If you ever wonder what is God's will, is God's will right there. Be grateful. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's a command. It's not a helpful suggestion Paul's giving us. It is a command. Just like thou shalt have no other gods before you is a command. Just like thou shalt not kill it is a command. When we are ungrateful, when we are no longer giving thanks, when we are consumed by our circumstances, we are disobeying the Father. God commands you and I to give thanks in all circumstances. Now the word circumstances is interesting and it really means the, the, the things that are happening, in a, happening around you. It's the same word that we get the word circumference from. And so the idea is that the things happening, happening around us, we're to give thanks for all, in all those things. And if we've learned anything in this season, if we've learned anything through the coronavirus, if it's taught us anything, it's this. That what happens around us, what happens in our circumference, we have very little control over. Which makes this command even more difficult. Now we like to think we have control over our situation. We like to think we have control over our circumference. We like to think we have control over what's happening around us. But the reality is we, there are so many decisions that, that are made without our input. There are so many things that we have no control over. Things we can't control. There's so many decisions we can't make. And a lot happens around us that affects us and happens to us that we don't get to choose. And that's why, to me, this appears like a very unusual command from the Apostle Paul. And give thanks in all circumstances? I mean, does Paul understand how tough life can be? Does Paul understand how difficult things can be? I mean, given all of that, I, I begin to wonder, is it even possible to give thanks for everything? Is it even possible to give thanks in everything? Yeah, I get it. I know there are some things that we should, get, we should be thankful for. There are some things that we can give thanks in. But everything? That just seems impossible. And let's be honest. The reason we struggle with giving thanks in all circumstances is because we often think it's our circumstances that are making the difference. So we often struggle with giving thanks in, our, giving thanks in all circumstances because we often think, think that if my circumstances were different, then I'd give thanks. If the things around me and my circumference were different, then I'd be able to give thanks for those things. I'd even be able to give thanks in those things. We think the problem is our circumstances. We think the problem is with our disappointment, with our frustration, with our anger, with our irritation, with our discouragement, with our, with our depression. We think that that is the problem because the circumstances are what are causing those. And we say, well, if my circumstances were different, and what do we do? We begin to play an if-then game. We begin to create an if-then equation. If things were different, then I would give thanks. 
If things were different, then I would be different. If I got the promotion, if I got the job, if I met the right person, if I got married, if my kids would, would be obedient, if my spouse would fill in the blank, if, 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 and we create these if situations, if then situations, if my circumstances changed, then I'd be happy. Then I'd be joyful. Then I would give thanks. But here's the problem. If you think that your happiness is dictated by your circumstances, you're going to remain miserable. Why? Because there's always things that we want to change. We'll never be satisfied. We'll always want different circumstances in our lives to change. And if we think our happiness is determined by those circumstances, it's going to leave us in continual state of frustration. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I know some of you already noticed he said, he didn't, Paul did not say for all things, but in all things. We are to give thanks not for everything that happens to us, but in everything that happens to us. I don't believe he wanted me to give thanks for a broken engine and, and a leaking duct. I don't think that was what he wanted me to give thanks for, but I think he wanted me to give thanks in those things. He doesn't want us to give thanks for the coronavirus. He wants to give thanks in the midst of this pandemic. He says, this is God's will for you, that you would give thanks in all circumstances. Then I got to thinking about it. And I thought, how, how can Paul, how can, he even, how can he even say that? I mean, how, how can he even say give thanks in all circumstances? I mean, I, I, I get to thinking, maybe he's just more, he's wired that way. He's just maybe a more optimistic person. Maybe that's just who Paul is. Or maybe, maybe Paul hasn't experienced difficult circumstances. You know, it's easy for us to say, give thanks in all circumstances if we're living in luxury. Maybe that's Paul. I mean, he wrote half the New Testament. Maybe he's immune to the difficulties of this world. Maybe he's immune to the challenges that you and I as just regular people face. But thankfully, Paul wrote about his life. His life is a follower of Christ. His life is a disciple. And here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 11. He said, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. In other words, they nearly beat him to death five times. And then he goes on to say, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys I was in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. All right, Paul, enough. I get it. You've earned your right to tell us to give thanks in all circumstances. Those were the circumstances that Paul had given thanks for. 
Paul had given thanks for the fact that he'd been shipwrecked three times, that he'd been beaten, that he'd been stoned, that he'd been, he'd been in cold and exposure. He's been without food, sleepless nights. He gives thanks in those circumstances. What could compel Paul to write this in the first place? Like, why did Paul sense that it was so important for him to tell the, 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 the believers in Thessalonia that you need to give thanks in all circumstances? I believe it all comes down to grace. I mean, none of what Paul's saying makes sense apart from grace. Paul understood and grasped that grace is greater than our circumstances. That grace is greater than anything that happens around us. You see, it is the grace of God. It is the grace of God that allows us to look at our circumstances, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, and give thanks, not for what is happening to us, but to give thanks for a God that's bigger than what is happening to us. To give thanks for a God who offers grace in the midst of what is happening to us. Who a God that is bigger than and more sovereign than our circumstances. See, Paul knew that if we don't give thanks in all circumstances, we'll miss grace. We'll miss God's grace. Because the interesting thing about the word that Paul chose for thanksgiving or give thanks, it's the same word translated in the Greek, and it's actually a combination of two words. And the two words are good and grace. And so when Paul says for you and I to give thanks, what he's saying is I want you to give thanks for God's good grace in the midst of whatever you're dealing with. I want you to give thanks for the good grace. You are thanking God for His good grace in your circumstances. That word's not used to thank God for specific things that are happening in our life. It's not used to thank God for specific circumstances. It is used to thank God for who He is in the midst of difficult times and in the midst of whatever circumstances we're facing. That's what Paul is saying. Now, in the beginning, I intentionally didn't tell you that, that verse 18 is a part of three commands. Not just one, but three commands that really form one sentence, one thought, one idea that are all a part of God's will for us. And it's in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. One sentence, and it says this, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Say, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks. That is the big picture that Paul is making. That is the big thing that he's saying, that we are to rejoice always. Now, here's the reality. Joy is not something we work on. Joy is something we live in. Joy is not external. Joy is internal. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a gift of God's grace that He's given to us through the Holy Spirit dwelling within us that flows out of us. 
That's where joy comes from. Joy is a gift of God's grace directly from the Lord Himself. You can't go out and muster up joy. You can't create joy. No, joy comes from the inside. As you and I walk with God, as we walk in His Spirit, as we follow Christ and become more and more like Jesus, joy, His joy, begins to flow through us and, and, and we experience it externally. But it starts internally. Then he says, pray without ceasing. This has to do with the attitude of our lives, the attitude of prayer. What he's saying is, listen, you need to pray consistently. You need to pray persistently. You need to pray regularly. Prayer shouldn't be a last resort. Prayer should be our first response. Pray without ceasing. And then get this, here's how, here's how this works. If you and I are living a life that is walking with Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to flow joy through us, if we're praying regularly, if we're praying consistently, if we are making prayer our first response, in giving thanks in our circumstances, listen, that comes natural to us. That's just an outflow of our joy and our prayer. You see, someone who is, who is full of joy and someone who delights in prayer, listen, the circumstances around them aren't going to affect them and they're going to be able to give thanks no matter what's happening around them. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything. Why is this so important? Because no matter what is going on around you, no matter what you're going through, no matter, no matter what your circumstances are, you can know that God is bigger, He's better, and He's greater. We can know for a fact that God is superior and that He is sovereign. We can know that He is working it all for our good and His glory. In fact, Paul wrote to the church in Rome and he said this, We know that for those who love God, all things, all circumstances, all situations, all things work together for good. He doesn't say they are all good. He says they work together for good for those who are called, who are called according to His purpose. Listen, because of that, because of that, we can give thanks in all circumstances. And it's no accident that Paul concludes this verse by saying, this is God's will for you. I can't think of anything in the world that would delight our Heavenly Father more than to know that you and I are walking in joy. We're delighting in prayer. And we're trusting His grace in the midst of our circumstances. That's the power of what Paul is saying. Now, I didn't finish telling you the rest of the story of my week. After all these things, after the truck died, the air handler died, our savings account died, after it's all dead, everything's dead. After all of that, after my grumbling and complaining, and then after God's reminder that I'm preaching on His grace is greater than his, my circumstances. I got a letter on Wednesday. It was from our insurance company in Florida. 
Now, we haven't lived in our home in Florida in well over a year. And they wrote me a letter telling me that they owed me some money. I mean, when was the last time an insurance company called you with that news? And they called and told me, they, 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 they sent a letter saying, we owe you some money. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's probably going to be, you know, 10 or $15. Turns out that in God's grace, in his goodness, the amount of money that the, the insurance company owes us is nearly half of the cost of the air handler. See, once again, once again, God proves, listen, my grace is greater than your circumstances. Now I want to sum up this entire series in this way. You and I miss grace. We miss grace when our pride tells us that our sins are no big deal and we don't need God's forgiveness. We miss grace if the hurt caused, caused to us by others leads to resentment that drowns out God's goodness. We miss grace if the circumstances around us push us to complain and miss the big picture of God's faithfulness. But here's what I want you to know. You and I can experience grace. We experience the grace of God. And when we do, we discover that it is more powerful. It is powerful enough to erase our guilt. It is big enough to overcome our shame. It is real enough to heal our relationships. It is beautiful enough to restore our brokenness. It is sweet enough to cure our bitterness. It is satisfying enough to overcome our circumstances. We discover that grace is always, always, always greater. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your grace. It is a gift, and it is something we don't deserve. It is a gift that, that we, we don't deserve, but yet you offer it freely. And Father, I know, especially in seasons like this, it is so easy to get consumed by our circumstances. And I experienced it earlier this week. God, I repent of those times when I allow my circumstances to determine my happiness and my joy. And Father, I acknowledge and I confess that your grace is greater than my circumstances. And Father, I pray for those that are listening to this that need to experience your grace in the midst of their circumstances. God, I pray that you would make it so real to them that you would prove yourself over and over again to them that you are gra your grace is greater than what's happening around us. That we can rest in your grace. And Father, I pray for those of us who are Christ followers that you would help us. Help us to be joyful always. To pray without ceasing and to give thanks in all circumstances. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.